it cannot be housing only. It has to be housing with wraparound services to be effective. And in general, the evidence will show that Housing First is successful. It doesn't work for everyone. And what we need to do is couple outpatient treatment, which can be paid for for a much longer period of time, mm -hmm. with a sober living environment for those who are really committed to achieving that long-term recovery. Then we give people the environmental supports for their success. Welcome to the Nonprofit Podcast Network. Our purpose and passion is to highlight a nonprofit organization in each episode, giving that organization an opportunity to tell their story in their words to better inform and educate the respective communities they serve, as well as provide one more tool for them to share their message to constituents and donors. Hi, I'm Jeff Holden, Principal of Multipoint Content Strategies and Hear Me Now Studio. We provide this forum pro bono to help build stronger communities through shared voices and to both encourage and support the growth of local nonprofit organizations through podcasting. My guest this episode is Erin Johansson of Hope Cooperative. She became the CEO in 2016 after serving as the agency's first development director for a period of three years. Prior to leading Hope Cooperative, Erin spent over 25 years in the food business as a sales and marketing professional. In 2008, she co-founded and served as executive director for a nonprofit substance abuse treatment program for teens in Placer County. After successfully merging that program into a larger nonprofit, Erin found her niche in the nonprofit world. Hope Cooperative offers a robust co-occurring disorders treatment program and will soon offer sober living. It has expanded mental health services within Sacramento County and is now serving residents of Yolo County in partnership with the Yolo County Department of Health and Human Services. The agency has also entered into a new partnership with the City of Sacramento Department of Community Response, offering homeless outreach and engagement services. Hope Cooperative will soon open its first tax credit affordable housing property in Citrus Heights in partnership with Jamboree Housing, followed shortly after by the second which is a partnership with Accelerate Housing Group. A graduate from San Diego State University, Erin also serves as the chair of the local continuum of care and serves on multiple boards and committees. She is driven to expand housing resources for the most vulnerable and recognizes that the only real end to a person's state of homelessness is a home. Erin, Welcome to the program. We're so happy to have you here. Thank you so much. I'm really delighted to be here. It's my favorite subject to talk about. So, Which is great since you're the CEO of the organization. I love yes. it. You know, the organization's 40 years old, and I'm looking, you've been CEO for seven with the organization for 10 out of 40. That's like 25% of the time has been you. Yes, it's it's definitely I'm the third CEO at the organization. And we were very small when I got here 11 years ago. Now it'll be 11 years when in January. And we had just 85 employees and about a six and a half million dollar budget. And now we have 350 employees and about a 30 million dollar budget. So that, a lot has changed. It's is such a huge organization. Yes. And, and in the scope of things, the myriad of elements that you touch related to the discussion we're going to have on homelessness is amazing to me. People have an unusual perspective, and I'm wondering if maybe you can identify a little bit more what 
what do we define as homelessness or the unhoused? How do you define it for Hope Cooperative? Yes, so we really define it by the HUD definition. So that is people who are- HUD, HUD being? HUD, Housing and Urban Development. It's a federal agency. Okay. And so what HUD says is that if you're living in a place not meant for human habitation, then you are literally homeless. And if you are at risk of homelessness, then that is people that are doubled up or couch surfing or any of that. And, and our clients are all of that and more. They could be living in their own apartment, but they can't pay the rent. They could be homeless only for, they could be living in their car, or they could be homeless only a short time, or they could be chronically homeless. We serve all mm -hmm. aspects of folks' housing situation. In the definition of homelessness by HUD, is there any discussion or part of mental health and wellness or substance abuse, does that enter into that discussion? Yes. And so in order to qualify for chronic homelessness, you have to be ho homeless for more than a year and you have to have a disabling condition. So mm. that's really our core business. So what, what, where we started is we really focused on folks that were really the most vulnerable, those that had disabling conditions and who were chronically homeless. We have expanded over the years to serve a broader variety of folks that have a, a broader variety of challenges. And and I think you could say that, you know, all the different places where we touch this issue has, you know, that growth, sometimes people call it something like the homeless industrial complex, that mm -hmm. those of us in this nonprofit sector are just getting bigger and more bloated and more wealthy over the problem. And really, for us, of course, that's not how we see it. Right. We see it as responding to a problem. The nonprofit sector has always responded to a problem. So as we saw the problem grow, we added services to actually help all the people that we were serving in, in addressing every barrier that they brought in front of us. So my background is in business. So so I look at it as like we're vertically integrated. We're serving somebody that at the, with everything they need to be successful. Mm -hmm. I saw that you were in business selling, selling food. Yes, so, sold food for about 30 years. So that's really my frame of reference is that I came to this work with sort of a business perspective is that we've got a problem, you know, in the problem in business is how are you going to sell whatever your product is? And right. this is how are we going to solve problems for people that then by extension, solves problems for the community. So that's mm -hmm. the that's the lens I look at it. You know, there's a lot of opinions on the homeless population, and everybody thinks they know the solution. Mm -hmm. And you're you're the expert here. Can you help us understand what Hope Cooperative provides, and and what's different about the organization compared to the, so many others that are. Mm -hmm supposedly helping the homeless? So I think that the, the community of service providers all have their niche and their place. But for me and for us, I saw it as a continuum of care so that what we wanted to provide is everything that stood in a person's way. Mm -hmm. So we started with mental health and housing because that's where our foundation was. We, we were formed 42 years ago. And everybody talks about the Reagan change and when people with serious mental illness were let out of institutions to mm -hmm. receive their care in a less restricted environment, which was the community, which we absolutely agree with and support. But what didn't happen back in those days was there was no plan for housing. And so we were finding that our, our folks that we were serving became unhoused. They didn't have a source of income. They didn't have life skills to be able to live in housing independently. So we got our start there. So permanent supported housing and services were where we began. 
as time went on, we found that our folks needed more and more. That mm-hmm. So the recent past, the explosion of substance abuse on the streets has been a, a really big problem. And, it, and I think a lot of people see that as a lifestyle choice, where we see it as a medical condition and addiction is really hard to beat. And some folks that are living on the street use drugs for survival. They use methamphetamines, for example, if you're a woman on the street, you use methamphetamines to stay awake all night so you don't get attacked. Mm-hmm. So that that is a very addictive substance. So you might try it for, for survival and become hopelessly addicted. And then you need services for that. There's also symptoms of methamphetamine addiction that mimic psychosis. So it's hard to tell whether that person has a serious mental illness or a substance use disorder or both. And so we decided a few years ago that, you know, we needed to be serving the whole person and we needed to make sure that we provided both types of services. So that's how we got into that. Which is so appropriate because I think when anybody has a discussion around the kitchen table or, or at a function, it's always, we don't just, we can't just stick these people in a house. Right. They don't know how to function. Correct. And in many cases, it's it's mental health or it's substance abuse or, or whatever the case may be. Your mission and vision are closely aligned, you know, but these are really big, broad goals. Mm-hmm. Can you tell us a little bit of how you gauge where you're making accomplishments? What mm-hmm. What does that goal look like as you're measuring against it? So the biggest measurement is housing stability. So if we have a person who was chronically homeless, living on the street, and they come into our services and we get them into housing, and it could be any kind of housing. Mm -hmm. It could be permanent supported housing. It could be a room and board. It could be a variety of housing types. But if we can get them housed and then provide them those services to maintain that housing, that's the first level of of success. So that's really the first order of business. And really, you know, the government calls that model housing first. And there's a lot of debate about housing first, whether we Mm -hmm. shouldn't do it, whether it's the wrong approach. But what we believe and what I believe is that it cannot be housing only. It has to be housing with wraparound services to be effective. And in general, the evidence will show that housing first is successful for 85 percent of the folks. Our results are better than that. That's encouraging to think of 85 percent getting them in just a stable residence is a yes. big deal. Locally in Sacramento, most of the providers that do this type of housing are at about 90%. We're actually beating the national average. So so if Housing First does work, it doesn't work for everyone. Right. So what I think is we fall into as a society is that we have this need to be cookie cutter and say, we're going to do this and only this, mm-hmm. and we have evidence that proves it, and so we're going to only do that. And then you've got 15% of the people that it doesn't work for. And then those folks are still on the street and they're who you and I see and we trip over and we cross the street to avoid. So that 15% needs a different intervention maybe. So so I think, and our organization has added sober living. We think we need the opportunity to give people choices in their housing that meet their own recovery goals and what they need. So for example, methamphetamine is the hardest addiction to beat. Mm-hmm. And if you go into treatment, residential treatment, you're going to get at most 30 days of residential treatment and then be returned to, to the, the environment, to the that, environment. That, okay. that created it. So that be the street or wherever. So what we believe is that a person needs, and, and it's not just what we believe, evidence will show, that a person needs a one-year dose of treatment to really be successful in methamphetamine misuse or addiction. Well, nobody pays for that. So what we need to do is couple 
outpatient treatment, which can be paid for for a much longer period of time Mm -hmm. with a sober living environment for those who are really committed to achieving that long-term recovery. Then we give people the environmental supports for their success. So we have two sober living houses now that we didn't have in the past, and we're not funding those from the federal government. We're funding them through a partnership with Sacramento County Behavioral Health. So it's a tangential experience for the person who's going through the recovery process where you can keep them in a system. It's just different systems. Yes. It's a safe place to live for a, for a one-year period of time, and then they would exit to permanent housing from there. Some of them will go back to their, their life and actually maybe their family and their friends. Then we don't necessarily have to house them forever. But if they came from chronic homelessness and they entered into sober living, then we need to help them with the next step so that that continuing success trajectory happens. Is there something post-exit of the housing process that Hope Cooperative provides once somebody is, let's say, graduated, Mm -hmm. they're on their own, now they're out. Do they have some sort of interface or interaction that they can continue as need be, or do they go into another place? So what's really great, and this is kind of a newish government offering, is that if you live in permanent supported housing, and that is housing that has a government project-based voucher support for a year successfully, you can convert that voucher to a tenant-based voucher, which is much like what we all think of as Section 8, a housing choice voucher. Mm -hmm. So if that person is really ready to graduate after a year in permanent supported housing, they can take that voucher into any landlord that will accept it and move on with their life. And a lot of our clients don't do that because a lot of our clients, most of our clients are disabled. So they're on SSI and they don't have work history and some of that. So it takes Mm -hmm. a lot longer than a year for most people. But for some people, that's the way out of the system. And what's great about it, when when you really actually do that successfully, is you open up space in those very expensive permanent supported housing with wraparound services for the next person. Well, it also gives them a smoother entry Right. Access back into the community. Mm-hmm. Right. It's also very hard for a person to exit homelessness, if you think about it, because yeah. of that housing piece is that they're, that they're going to exit housing and all of a sudden be able to f- afford, you know, 1500 right. 1800 2000 a month rent. What kind of job do they have to get? They have to get a professional right. job to do that. And so so that takes a minute. So if they can get from, from permanent supported housing to a tenant-based voucher, start working on employment, start working on education and perhaps job re-entry, then eventually they can get to that place where they can exit the system entirely. You serve Sacramento and Yolo counties. Correct. That's a big geography. Mm-hmm. You actually own housing. So you have places to house people without having to worry about other contracts and everything else because it's yours. Can you tell us a little bit about what that looks like? And is it individuals and families? Mm-hmm. And it, and I we do own it, but all of the housing that we own is government funded. So it, it, it means that you have to go through the system to enter. So it's not like we just can, our people get to go in our housing Got and it. also permanent housing doesn't have a lot of turnover, permanent supported housing. So the, what I just explained- By where definition, you get, it sounds like it wouldn't. Yes. So what I just explained is very few people can actually do that. And it's also kind of newish. So yeah. over the years- 
permanent supported housing was meant to be forever. That's not good for the system at large because you don't have any flow. So we participate in the continuum of care in the community. So our clients come to us through the coordinated entry system, which is managed by Sacramento Steps Forward. So in most of the housing that we operate, folks are either referred to us that way or through the mental health system. So it's not just we get to direct people. And mm-hmm. the, the housing that we own and operate, we have about 200 units under our control today. But we have about 300 units in production right now. So we're about to get quite a bit bigger in that supply side, it's which is doubling. essential. Yes, absolutely. The, the, it has been a strategic goal of myself and our board and our team to grow the housing capacity because we saw five, seven, eight years ago that the housing capacity was the single biggest problem that we faced in solving homelessness in Mm -hmm. the Sacramento area. Are these multi-family housing? Are there multiple families inside a single right. unit? Right. You, you asked me about family and singles. So, um, yeah. yes. So three of the properties that we own and operate are family properties. So that means that one, that the adults qualify the eligibility for the family. And then right. there are family units of one, two, and three bedrooms. But there is single family in each unit. Okay. Some of the other properties that we own are for single adults. And some of them are roommated. So there's a two-bedroom with two people in it. Or some of them are one bedroom for a single person. Some are studios. So it's a wide variety. One of the properties that we own is actually interim housing, which means that they they stay there for less than a year as we're finding them permanent housing. That property, folks, are three, two, there are three individual bedrooms in an apartment, three unrelated adults sharing that property. So a variety of types. On the properties in the physical geographic location, are there services nearby Or is it someplace they have to go to Mm -hmm. to get their services? Sometimes it's close. The two newest properties that we just got funded are within a mile each direction of our offices on a bus line. So that's going to be fantastic. That's going to be the best of all worlds. In most cases, those services are provided both on site and they're provided by our staff who go and get the person, provide transportation. So in the case of their their psychiatry appointment, for example, they mm-hmm. would need to come to our office to get that. So our staff would go and get them, bring them in. Or they can take public transportation. So if they're capable of doing that, we want to encourage that. The more independence a person can experience, the, the sooner they're going to meet their recovery goals. We've got an estimated population of 10,000-ish who are considered homeless. You're serving 10,000 people plus mm-hmm. a year, which is an incredible amount of people, yet it's still continuing to grow. Mm-hmm. Well, not all the services that we offer are housing. So that's that's one thing. So one of the services we offer is a crisis respite center. And a lot of folks receive intervention at that place, but they, they don't necessarily, it's not a long-term support system where they get case management and housing. So they come in, they in crisis, it's an alternative to emergency room. We also provide homeless outreach. Those folks are also a more short-term intervention. We engage, we connect, we move on to the next service. And then we have an outreach and engagement center, which also is similar to the outreach. It's an indoors location, but it's certainly not permanent or even long-term. It's not even as long-term as a shelter. It's Mm -hmm. supposed to serve as an interim spot where people get engaged and then move to the next potential. So if, if you could walk us through the sequencing, let's say somebody comes into the initial intervention and then they go to next step, next step. What is, I hate to say ideal, but I think that's probably the best way to describe it. Mm -hmm. 
the steps that somebody who is coming in off the street, who is going to be somebody that you can see going through the entire process all the way to some longer term housing Mm -hmm. to out of the program successfully. Okay. So we operate what we call the core wellness centers. It's part of the the Sacramento County transformation of the outpatient mental health system. So I'm going to kind of talk about what someone would do to go through that. So that program, you can walk in off the street. Your stuff can be stored outdoors. Your dog can be in a kennel while you're there. You can get a cup of coffee, have a little lunch. You can participate in a group or not. And that is your entry point. So you walk in the door and you go, I'm going to see if this is for me mm-hmm. and nobody's going to say, go away. Nobody's going to make you sign up for anything. You just get to come in and see how it is. So if you decide while you're there that you'd like to get services from us, we will do an intake and we will enroll you into the mental health system if you qualify. So if you're eligible for those services, you'll, you, you can ask for them mm-hmm. and receive them right there. That location has nursing, has psychiatry, has case management, has this wellness center with groups and different kinds of activities, as well as a housing specialist, as well as a benefits specialist. It is everything you need, including a shower and laundry. Wow. So so now you're and there. A complete evaluation. Yeah, complete evaluation, complete intake. We we figure out what you are qualified for, what we can give you, and we connect you with whatever those services are. And that includes housing. So we will make sure that you get some kind of housing soon as we can. So things are taking longer now, but we will get you into the homeless management information system so that you can be eligible for a shelter bed. We we have some sheltering, as I mentioned, the interim housing option that we have ourselves. Mm-hmm. We have access to what the community at large has. And we will not just leave you at that shelter. We're going to stay with you until you get a more permanent housing location. That's probably going to look more like a room and board at first. And so once we get you into and room and board is really shared housing that you have your own room typically and food is attached and case management comes from us and we Mm -hmm. continue to follow you along until we can get you to a voucher or some sort of subsidized housing so that you can move to the more permanent stage. But we're going to stay with you through that whole entire process. And in that process, where does the mental health evaluation and or support come in and or substance abuse right. evaluation and support. So the evaluation happens right as soon as you say that you want services. That's okay. going to take place right there. And that's right so in the that. Individual, it's still incumbent on the individual to make that necessary choice of walking in the door. I have to do something. Yeah. Walking in the door is their choice, but we're offering some snacks and, and and services there that are sort of enticing to people, people that want to shower, people that want to wash their clothes, you know, then they have to say that they're interested in some services and they have to be eligible for mental health services in that scenario. There are other options if they're not, but in that scenario, they have to be eligible for mental health services. So at that point and, or substance abuse services, and when we'll make sure that they get what they need. And then at that that point, they're going to get that case, that really intensive case management that stays with them Perfect. until the end result. Now, once you're in housing, that's not the end, right? Because as we've talked, that some people, yeah. once they're housed, even it's an interesting phenomenon when people come from how, from an unhoused situation, especially chronically, they have spent more than 40 hours a week trying to survive. They have run from the, the police. They have moved their camp. They have had to deal with the, the danger out on the street. They've had to find food. They've had to do all these things. So now they're in 
a home and what are they going to do next? So what we want right. them to do is really stay engaged with that wellness center so that they can come and have some social interaction, some connectivity with other humans. It's so valuable. I had someone tell me once at our clubhouse, which was a precursor to the wellness center, and I, it has stuck with me. This gentleman told me, I'm 50 years old and I've never had a friend in my life until I came to this place. And then his next breath was, and before I came here, I went to the emergency room 200 times last year. Oh, my gosh. And this year, I've gone zero. All about trying to get your needs met. If right. your needs are met, you don't need these really expensive interventions like the emergency department and also inappropriate interventions. So now you're at the at the wellness center and you're hanging out with people and you're feeling comfortable and you're making connections. Then we can start talking about employment. We can start talking about volunteering. We can start talking about all of those things that you as a human want to meet your own recovery goals. And need. Yes. Need to meet your recovery goals. Yes. That's fantastic. It's sad to think that there's somebody 50 years old out there that hasn't had a best friend. So you know, it's heartbreaking. But, it's, but you think about people that that are has having these kinds of struggles, the mental health struggles. They get bullied in elementary school. They don't, it's right. hard to, for people to make friends when they're symptomatic. And then there's this really scary statistic that most people is 10 years between the onset of symptoms and when they get treatment. Yeah. So during that 10-year period, they're trying to figure out what is this. They're self-medicating drugs and alcohol. They're isolating from the people that have treated them bad. They haven't finished high school. They haven't gotten a job. There's a lot of things that are interrupted in that developmental process while people are figuring it out. Mm -hmm. So we need to come in at that point and say, we can help you get to the next step. You know, all that you're doing, not to mention 350 employees, is, is a massive number of people. It is. The homes, the support for the homes, the maintenance on the homes, the mental health, the substance abuse, the, the cadre of people it takes to support others in those situations. How are you funded? Very good question. So most of our funding is the gov is various types of government funding. So the mental health services are funded through Sacramento County, and it's a blend of Mental Health Services Act, which is state Prop 63 funding, and then it's matched with federal Medi-Cal funding. So that's the basics for that. Okay. Our housing resources are by by virtue of a voucher through HUD, as we talked about yep. before, housing and urban development, that comes through the continuum of care, Sacramento Steps Forward, all that whole system of care. And we have about 200 vouchers that we have from HUD. We're Fun fact, we are the very first recipient of a continuum of care voucher in Sacramento region. So, Congratulations. Yes, that's a big deal. It's like we've had them since the 90s we've, when they were brand new. And that's evolved into all of these different systems by now. But that was us in the very beginning. And we matched those HUD vouchers with our mental health services. So people got housing with their mental health services, which was the response to folks being on the street and getting services, but have nowhere to live. So yeah. that was that. And our housing, our original housing that we developed came about the same time. And and I always like to, there's, there was a gentleman that worked for us for the last 35 years and he recently retired. And I always said he got this housing together because he was MacGyver. You know, he, he got people to donate him a house and then he moved it over there to that corner and he found somebody to pay for rehabbing it. And, you know, so, so they were very, they were loosely put together during those years when it was really, 
really sort of novel to right. to do permanent supported housing. Today, there is much more of a strategic effort, and it's mostly state funding that funds permanent supported housing. There's some local match that has to come into it. There's tax credits, and then there's actual state allocations that fund permanent supported housing. And you recently were awarded some significant grants. Do you want yes. to share a little bit? What, yes, that's, it's that's super exciting. Process, right? Yes, yes. And there were, so we applied for two what's called home key grants and they are motel conversions and they're going to be studio and one bedroom apartments. One of them we applied for in partnership with the John Stewart Company and SHRA, that's Sacramento Housing and, uh, and Redevelopment Agency. And the Thank other you. one, yeah, we we applied for on our own also with SHRA. So, so one of them has 70 units, the other has 124. And out of nine awards made statewide, we got two of them. So that's the city and county of Sacramento, but it's also Hope Cooperative that got those two grants. Right. So really excited. It's almost 200 It's 200 units. Yes, 200 units. Housing. Yes. And they and what's really interesting about HomeKey is that you have a 12-month clock from the day you get the letter, not the day you get the money, the day you get the letter, to have people living in there. So we're on the clock right now. Better and sense uh, of urgency there. Yes. And September of 2024, people will be moving in as long as we meet the goal and <laughs> the timeline. And so what's really, so the one property that has got the 70 units and it's all studios, some of those units, 30 of them will be uh, behavioral health units. So mm-hmm. they, will, they will be supported by a full service partnership, intensive case management provider. But what's really novel about that project and why I'm really excited about it is that we are partnering with Goodwill and also the Power and Alliance to create a pathway to employment. And this is something that is really new in permanent supported housing. It's not done very often because, as we talked about before, permanent housing is meant to be permanent. But if a person, and our theory is, and and we'll we'll be right, some percentage of the people will, will be successful with this, if they can become employed and also take their project-based voucher and turn it into a tenant-based voucher, they can actually move on and enter the workforce and create space for the next person. So that's a really cool opportunity Mm -hmm. that we have going at that particular property, which is at 25 Howe Avenue. The other one is at 1413 Howe Avenue, and it's going to have 124 units for older adults. And that's going to also be a partnership with Behavioral Health for 30 units, but also the Department of Child, Family, and Adult Services. So for those Mm. seniors that are adult protective services involved, we will have some units reserved for them. That's a big growing population of folks in the homeless world. Sadly to say, I'm I'm aware of that. Sadly to say. And this is really new for that department of the county. They've not done this before, but they're experimenting and piloting that with this project with us. Well, and that leads perfectly to the next question, because I would say what I see you doing is really this 360 for the individual who finds themselves homeless. Yes. And not only is it just getting them a place to stay, a safe place to stay, but it's also working on everything we all talk about. We know that just sticking somebody like that into a residence of some sort that's a, a fait accompli. It's not going to happen. They're going to no. destroy it and not know what to do with it and, mm-hmm. and have no resource to continue that housing. So to go from the very beginning and assess everything, deal with their substance abuse, deal with the mental health and wellness of that individual, and then begin to work with them to integrate back into 
the community is a huge deal. And now to have extra houses to do it or extra mm-hmm. rooms, I should say, extra housing to do it is incredible. And, and 200 is a lot. I mean, it's a lot. Yes. We, and and we've actually got 200 on those two projects, but we have another 66 that are under construction in North Sacramento right now that will be opening about the same time. And if all goes well, we'll have a project in, in Elk Grove right behind it with another 80 units. So we are, we're on the move for housing capacity. And I'm going to tell you why there was a, well, one is because we all know that we're short and yes. every it's in every news article that we're short. But there was a recent very big study on homelessness done by the Benioff School at UCSF. where it's, it's been gotten a lot of publicity and they had like several bullet points of you need to do these six things to if you really want to end homelessness. And we at Hope Cooperative are doing all of them. This is been and we we're doing this not because the study told us, but because our clients told us that's what it they needed. Yes, exactly but it really validated doing. what we've been doing, which is we're really excited about. Yes. The number one issue is the lack of housing. And and for years, the community, the government, everyone said there's plenty of housing. It's just not deployed right. Or, you know, there's this issue and we'll fix that. But really, we have been short of housing, affordable housing, but all types of housing since 20. 10, 2013, since the end of the recession, we've been short of housing. So building housing capacity is essential. It's the number one thing that we have to do. If you don't have a place for people to go, it's impossible to solve homelessness. You can't get so, them there. Right. There's nowhere to go. They but won't what, go. But back to what you said is you also can't just put people into right. a house that have been homeless for 10 years. They need to have their other issues addressed. They need support. They need those barriers removed. And so having the mental health and substance abuse services critical, absolutely, wraparound services of all kinds, essential, life skills, partnerships with any and all natural supports that they, Mm -hmm. you know, getting somebody might just need to be connected to a church or call their mom or, you know, many of things that they wouldn't have been able to do without support. So we need to do that. And then, of course, meaningful activity which includes employment, is also part of the package of what people are going to need. So in addition, we do crisis intervention because people need that from time to time, both as when they're homeless and after they're housed. So we have to do that. Homeless We all do. We all do. (laughs) Absolutely. Everything doesn't go perfectly. No. And then how do you start the process in the very beginning is you've got to have effective outreach. There's Mm got to be people out there working on the streets that build trust, that build rapport, that invite people in to services because there's a lot of people out there that don't trust the system is there for them. They've been moved around. They've Mm -hmm. been pushed aside. They've been treated poorly. And us as citizens have, have seen it and participated in it. And we say, well, they're, they're creating trash. They're an eyesore. Not they're this. Backyard. It's not in my backyard. We've done all of those things as well. And some of it, they have contributed to the problem, of course, but they can't get out of it alone. That's really the bottom line is they cannot get out of this alone. And we have to provide a path forward. And that's what we're trying to do at Hope Cooperative. What does the organization need most at this point? So as we have people who are listening and learning more about what it is you do, mm-hmm. how would you say 
this is the most significant thing at this point that could help us the greatest. Okay, so I'm really glad you asked that because I, when I, I left the budget with the very, with the government funding, and the government funding is tremendous. I mean, I, I don't want to downplay how necessary it is for mm-hmm. us to be supported by the various government resources that we have. But there are plenty of things that the government does not pay for that are needed. And one of the things that we have been struggling with because we aren't, a, you know, we, we have a big budget, but we don't have a lot of money, is the pre-development costs that go into building a project. Yes. Either a rehab or a new construction. There's a lot of money that you have to put at risk in order to start the process and apply for all that government money. So we have a wonderful consultant that that is helping us with our affordable housing, but he has to be paid and Mm -hmm. we don't get the money to pay him until the project gets funded. Yes. So that's that's just having the help to do it, the actual human that knows how to navigate the system. But there are also, you have to pay for an appraisal. You mm-hmm. have to get inspections. You have to put a deposit down. So it, we figure it costs us about $200,000 up front to get into the mix. And so that's one of the things we're trying to raise right now. It's, it's not even a huge amount of money, but it's just to have a pot of money that we can start the process. And then it'll get, we'll get refunded most of it when, when the project gets is successfully mm-hmm. funded and then we can use that money again and again and again to keep funding future projects. So I think that the biggest need that the that the community can support and from a financial standpoint is making the path towards permanent housing possible. And then that also means you have to be a person who allows it in your backyard. Yes. And so I, I was I was having a little participating a little next door conversation this last week because I live in Land Park and there is a new structure at 19th and Broadway and they have permanent supported as well as affordable in it. And the the conversation was, do you all know that there's going to be a homeless shelter on 19th and Broadway? So I had to insert myself because it's not a homeless shelter. It's housing. But once I, I made that point, there was still a lot of argument back and forth from folks about not wanting that to be in our community. And we absolutely have to allow housing in all communities, all kinds of housing, that if we don't want people living on the street, we have to allow housing. Yeah. Your option is tripping over somebody who's in a really bad situation Mm -hmm. versus somebody who's living in at least a a housing unit Mm -hmm. that is much more representative of something that humans should live in. Exactly. Not on. Yes, exactly. So we have to, as humans, we have to get over ourselves. There is no evidence that affordable housing decreases property values. None, zero, you can't find it. It does not do that. Back in the olden days when there were tenements and projects in, in cities, that might have been true. Today, there every funder inspects these properties annually. We have more oversight than any apartment complex will have in the market rate world. So they are, SHRA does a wonderful job of managing and inspecting the affordable housing stock in our community. So they're not going to contribute to anything that is negative in terms of property value. So we have to stop fighting these projects. Well, and those are regulated to some degree, which makes it that much better. We know there are people who have housing units who pay no attention to them. Correct. I mean, we read about it all the time and and what the squalor people are living in Mm -hmm. as a result of that. Whereas I'd much rather have, you know, a regulated and government subsidized entity in my neighborhood than I would something from somebody who's going to pay no attention to it because they're remote. They don't care. It's 
That's 100% true. I was actually just having a conversation before I came here today about our property in Folsom. And I was telling the the people I was talking to, which happened to be Citrus Heights Police Department, that about that people don't even know that that is affordable housing. They don't know that it has any connection to mental health or whatever. And one of the police officers said, I used to live around the corner from that property. And you're absolutely right. It's the nicest property on the street. And that is from someone who knows and who was a right. neighbor. So we, we maintain our properties, we keep them clean, we manage them, and we mostly handle any of the behavioral issues that happen in property because we have services on site. So we're, they don't have increased calls for service after they're stable. In the beginning, they might have some. Mm-hmm. But after they're stable, there's very few calls for service that we're not engaging the police unless we absolutely need them. You know, we're, we're handling that ourselves because we have services yeah. on site. So I'm going to put you in a little bit of a spot here. Prognostication. We have hit this precipice of disbelief, in every way, shape, or form, A, that it's here, and B, that we can do anything about it. Mm-hmm. We sense that there's a gross mismanagement of the money that's been thrown at this this homeless situation. As you see it today, in terms of what you've experienced now in your past 10 years, what's your outlook on it? So I am cautiously hopeful. And, and I'll say that because what I have witnessed, I've been very active in the continuum of care over my last 10 years. And what I have seen is the constant arguments from the jurisdictions blaming each other, the city and the county, it's your problem, it's your problem. And, and what I've seen in the last year is a lot more collaboration. City, uh, county. The city county partnership agreement has been really helpful of bringing those two together and say, okay, our roles, roles and responsibilities, who's responsible for what? Mm-hmm. There has been a lot more of that working together that I've seen. So I think that's essential. I think that's part of why we're here is because we didn't have that for the last 10 years. Mm-hmm. So that there wasn't a unified plan. There wasn't a goals set and there wasn't the the achievement of those goals in unison. We still have folks that want to be contrarian. So we we have a lawsuit from the district attorney. We have a sheriff who talks about it's, you know, that that they go out in the street and people don't want help. Well, we know that people want help. They just have a hard time believing that they're actually going to get it. Mm-hmm. And especially they have a hard time believing they're going to get it from law enforcement. So I think that expecting people to accept help from law enforcement is probably not a good expectation. Yeah. But I think that we've had we've seen a lot of things happen over the last few years that I think there's not a lot of acknowledgement of. Could you share how people in the community might be able to help with this situation? Absolutely. If you are a landlord and you have just a rental property or two, or you're a property management company, and you could just take a chance on a family with a voucher, renting your property to a family with a voucher, we could actually make a dent in homelessness. There are right now between 1,000 and 1,500 people living on the street right now with a voucher in hand that they could use to subsidize their rent if they could just find a landlord that would rent to them. So help me understand, too, what is the voucher? What is a voucher? So a voucher is what used to be called Section 8. There's also some some voucher, rental assistance vouchers that come through the continuum of care, which is through HUD, where that person themselves is obligated to pay up to 30% of their income towards rent, and the voucher covers the rest. Now, there's a limit, a cap on the rents, so maybe in every property it won't be appropriate. But in most properties, it's it's enough to cover the rent for an apartment. And there's literally 1,000 to 1,500 people with a voucher in their hand today that could actually accommodate one of those units? That's correct. Which would take 1,000 people off the street. Yeah, maybe more because if it's a couple or a family, that, you know, multiply those folks. 
That would be wonderful if we it can would. get anybody to respond under that circumstance Correct. with a unit. Yes. So what we need, I think we need, is we need everyone at the table rowing in the same direction. And then I think we're going to start to see real results. We need to set real goals and we need to meet them. So one of the goals that, you know, I set it for my organization, my board and I said, we're going to build housing capacity and we're doing that. And so we're seeing that the the actual results of that will happen. That's needed. Mm -hmm. That's a business way of approaching the problem. That does give us all some hope. And I think Hope Cooperative is really the encapsulment of what we're saying here. So Aaron, thank you so much. I really appreciate your commitment to the city, to the commitment to our counties that you operate in and for what you do. Thank you so much. And thank you for letting me talk about this subject that's so important to all of us. And we need to hear it and we need to talk more about it. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Nonprofit Podcast Series. I hope you enjoyed the episode. If what you heard moved you, please reach out to that organization and do what you can to help. If you like and appreciate what we're doing to support local nonprofits, please give us a positive review, subscribe, and share. If you're a nonprofit with an interest in participating in an episode, you can reach us at info at multipointstrategies.com. The Nonprofit Podcast Network is a production of Multipoint Content Strategies and is recorded and edited by Hear Me Now Studio.